What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dawson T.O. Fanta Podcast. It is Monday morning, February 21st. My name is Rob Dawson. I am joined by my partners, John Fanta and Terrence Oglesby. Uh, we are on the field of 68. This is presented by our partners at Bet River Sportsbook. And we probably, before we get into anything else that happened this weekend, we probably need to address uh, what happened with Juwan Howard, and Greg Gard, and the Michigan basketball team, and the Wisconsin basketball team. We've talked about it plenty. Uh, it's now on first take, and it's, I cannot, I, I've gotten to the point where I can't deal with it anymore. So, guys, I'm setting the timer. <laughs> we're going back to the old trusty timer. We got 10 minutes to talk about this, and then we're moving on. Done and dusted after this. All right. So, T.O., I'm going to you first and go. All right. So, whenever you say you can't deal with it anymore, you can't deal with first take anymore. Cause I got to go with the mute button. But other than that, look, I, here's the thing with uh, the whole incident of what happened. I can sympathize with both sides as far as why they got upset. Greg guard, putting his hands on it. My first thought was when a guy comes out of a game, what's the first thing that happens? And a guy's upset. You put your hands on him. You put your hand on his chest to calm him down. I could see Greg guard doing that and trying to calm him down and explain himself away. On the other hand, I can see where Juwan Howard's like, this man's putting his hands on me right now. I'm already upset. This is not how I'm going to be treated as a grown man. I see both sides. The issue is, is neither one of them back down. And there's a little bit of a thing with Juwan Howard in that league from what I've seen from a distance. Now, I'm obviously outside of the Big Ten bubble. But from a distance, other coaches do not want to back down from Juwan Howard. And I think it has a lot to do with his success as a player. I think it has a lot to do with with a lot of coaches who have been in the ringer of assistant coaching. They've been through director of ops, director of – they've done all these things. They feel like he cut line a little bit. So there's a little bit of bitterness there. So they don't want to back down from Juwan Howard. What should have happened, guys? There shouldn't have been a press at the end of the game. Juwan Howard should have just said it's over. There shouldn't have been a timeout at the end of the game, but one results in the other. And guards should have just kept walking, got his team through the, through the lines, kept walking, not reacting. Jamal shouldn't have said anything. Here's what happens. Both are at fault. Where it really went wrong was, was the swing. You can have a little dust up. You can get in each other's face. But when you swing, that set off an unbelievable chain of events that cannot happen in the college game. And my overriding thought of the whole thing was how much that these two individuals failed their kids and failed their players. Musa Diabate Rob, you said it last night. John, you said it last night. Ne that, that never occurs without Juwan going first. The, the kid from uh, Jacoby Neath, the kid from, that transferred from Wake Forest, like 
That never occurs if he doesn't see a coach on the floor. Those coaches failed their players. And if I have a kid that's being recruited at a high level, I'm looking at this. This is a serious lack of self-control and discipline by the coaches. It is regrettable to say the least. Fireable at the worst. I think that would be an overreaction. What I do think should happen, guard should get a game or two because of his refusal just to keep going. Juwan should be done for the rest of the season because of the swing only. You can't swing in layup or layup lines or handshake lines. You can't swing. I've been through a couple of things. People are saying, let's get rid of the handshake line. Forget that. Be a grown man. Have some respect. You just got your tail whipped. Shake the hands. Get to your locker room. Coach your team. I, I it, the, But the overriding thought, and, and R.C., Randolph Childress, said it perfectly yesterday. It was a lack of leadership, a failure of leadership, and those coaches failed those kids. And that's why I feel so bad about the whole thing. So well said. And I think that in this incident, it is a direct reflection of what a coach is to his players. And in this case, it's all for the bad. And that's why I do feel bad for the players this morning. Because people need to remember, we are talking about 18 to 22-year-old kids. If you want to really go in on a program, I'm fine with, if you want to criticize the head coach, go ahead until the sun rises. Because he's getting paid millions of dollars to find a way to win games. So if you want to criticize anyone, it starts and ends with him. And it does start and end with both these head coaches. Not only during the incident, how about after the game? Yeah. How about the post-game press conferences? How have we not seen the apology that's full accountability and states, man, I'm sorry that this happened. I'm sorry that this occurred. It is, as we do this podcast, 11, 16 a.m. Eastern time. And to be quite candid with you, it's already too late. It's already been too long for us to hear about what's going on with this situation. I understand that things have to get hashed out, but you can't have a swing like that taken on broadcast television to the world, and now the next morning we're nearing noon and we really haven't heard what the, what the after effects are, although we've heard rumors. I feel bad for the players. I would imagine if they're not in a class, they're in their locker room or they're in a, a dorm room right now hanging out. And probably waiting, waiting to hear what's going to happen, waiting to hear their fate. And frankly, Musa Diabate, Terrence Williams, Jacoby Neath, I feel so bad for those guys more than anybody because their actions are a result of their coaches. Yes. And I hope that everybody that's handing out punishments understands that their actions are a result of their coaches. Because those kids should not be done for the year or suspended for a long period of time, in my humble opinion. So that's how I feel about this this morning. But I got to say this, guys. This is another incident where 2022 versus 2012 is a totally different level of discourse following said incident. Because of this incident, reputable folks have said, well, he he should be fired. Reputable folks 
have said, well, we have to do away with, with shaking someone's hand after a game. And when I say reputable, I say people that are making a large amount of money and who are heard from on a national platform basis that are trusted by the general public. The sun came up today. Everybody woke up in Madison, in Ann Arbor. There are real decisions that have to be made about this. But let's not get to a point where we're now affecting even more families and even more people as a result of of something that was an altercation. They've happened before in the sports world. They've happened in the stands. They'll happen again down the road. Things must be done. There must be swift action taken. But let's not look into this and start saying that jobs need to be lost, families need to be destroyed, kids need to sit out the rest of the year. We've all been through enough crap over the last two years. Like, take this incident for what it is, and let's try to move forward and try to produce something that's not end everything, all or nothing. He's got to lose his job because that's not fair. Yeah, he doesn't. This is the kind of situation where if you were looking for a reason to fire somebody with cause to get out of their buyout, you could fire them. I don't think it's the kind of situation where you have to fire somebody for. And honestly, I don't think that having a bit of tension spill over and get to this point in, in, in sports is necessarily a bad thing that makes for more intrigue. That makes for more eyeballs. It makes for more interest. Um, you want people to be competitive. Uh, you need to be able to control yourself though, because there is one thing that you cannot do as a basketball player, as a coach, more or less as a human being, you can't take that swing. If you take that swing, you're going to get suspended. And Juwan Howard needs to be suspended for that. Now, Here's my my biggest issue, and, and I've said this before. Look, there's there's fault on both sides. Joe Krabenhoff needs to sit for a little bit. Greg Gard, you know, you you could tell me you were calling a timeout. I'll explain to I don't, bullshit. I don't want to hear it. You know what you were doing. You know the result of that. You know how that works. You were trying to make a point because people in the league don't like Shawan Howard. Just you know, I, I don't need this woe is me shit from Wisconsin. You guys know what you did. Yeah, you you uh you you talked a lot and you got hit. You should, the people, Juwan Howard should not have swung. That doesn't mean that Joe Krabenhoff or Greg Gard didn't deserve to get smacked for the way that they handled the end of that game scenario. Uh, but what I will say is this Musa um, Diabate is a 19 year old young black man. And when there are young black men on national television throwing punches, like it or not, there's going to be a certain uh, label that comes with that, that, that is put onto that now, right? That, that, that's the society that we live in. That's just a fact. It's unfortunate, but it's a fact. And uh, he did something that I think all of us would have lauded in, in the grander scheme of things, because what he was doing was protecting a teammate that he saw getting punched. The guy that he was throwing punches against was Jacoby. Nee. He was protecting an assistant coach that he saw was getting hit by Terrence Williams. Terrence Williams was protecting himself because during that altercation, that coach got pushed into him. He thought he was getting tackled into the stands. That coach got pushed into Terrence Williams because Jawan Howard could not control himself and threw a punch, slap, mush, mush, whatever you want to call it. If Jawan Howard doesn't swing, those players don't end up having the situation that they're dealing with. And if those players don't end up having that situation to deal with, they're not getting suspended and they don't have that label as thug or whatever is going to be thrown at them over the course of the rest of their, their, their lives. And hopefully people forget about this and understand it just is what it is. And it was a moment that passed, but, he got two players that went to his program to trust him have, are going to be suspended for throwing punches and fighting. They're going to have that label tag to them. And in an era where so much of the money is made from NIL stuff, from branding, from 
what your your perception is from the public at large, Juwan Howard just ruined that. He's going to be fine. He's worth he's worth nine figures. He's going to be just fine. His players are the ones that are going to bear the brunt of it. And we got 10 seconds left. I don't know if any of you guys want to put a wrap on this, but I will just say this. We don't need to fire anybody. We don't need to blow anything up. People need to get punished, and we need to move on and just be better. My, my, thing, is, my thing is this. Handshake lines, keep the – yeah, sorry. The That's handshake right. lines, keep them. I have shaken hands after – or shook hands, shaking. I don't know what – I don't know what the correct vernacular <laughs> is. Since I was like five. Like, yeah. that's what you do. I've played all over the world. You shake hands. You could get in a fight, whatever. But after the game, you shake hands. We need adults to act like adults. This yes. is something that happens. This is part of a sportsmanship code that you're a part of. And while they say, well, the NBA doesn't do it, this is a collegiate institution. Like, the, the, this is a big part of a and, young man's and also, development. Also, that's, that's, that's BS. Because if you go and you look at what the NBA does, every single player goes up and daps up everybody else, right? That's right. They just don't stand in a line and walk by each other. They kind of mill around and they shake all the hands. Like, in the NBA these days, everybody's friends. You could have the handshake line and no one's going to care. Yeah, right? they do it anyway. Yeah, I'd this argue, is the 1980s. I'd argue that not having a handshake line could produce more after-game things than having one. Because if you if you don't have a structure of the handshake line, the game could end and you could be two feet from somebody instead of running to your handshake line because it's such a it's a routine based thing and the players follow their coach. I think at the end of the day, two things. Number one, accountability. Yes, accountability has gone away in our world to a great degree. You can never be wrong. Apparently, you can never be wrong. You can never be in the wrong. And I think yesterday's post-game press conferences illustrated that. Like, we just didn't see – something clearly went wrong, guys. You're getting paid a lot of money. Grow up. Here's my Grow thing, too. Say, if it- Grow up and say it's wrong. And then the other thing I would just say is I would expect – my theory to begin with yesterday, and I still have this theory, like, is there a part of Jawan Howard that says, be the bigger man and self-impose? Self-impose what – you know, I am I was wrong. I was in the wrong. And I know you're shaking your head, but I yeah. – no, that, Mich- that I'm shaking most- because he won't do it. I'm shaking no. my head because he won't. Well, Michigan, do it. Michigan's going to do it for him. Like this is this is going to be something that Ward Manuel gets gets out in front of and makes a decision. He's working with the Big Ten. It's going to be Swift. I, I we're it is 11:25 in the a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the only legitimate time zone right now. And I expect that by the time you people are actually listening to this, it's going to be something where uh, it, the a, a decision will be made. Makes um, sense. Yeah, so I, it might even happen while we're live on this pod, so we'll react if that happens. But listen, can we wrap this up? Can we? Yeah, wrap it up. Go next. Yeah. Can we, can we wash our hands with it? Okay, good. Uh, what I want to do today is I want to I play a little bit of game called State Your Case, right? And we're going to do like seven or eight minutes on each one of these topics. But I have five topics, uh, and I just want to I, I hear your opinion on it. And maybe we'll let the fans vote. Maybe we'll let your listeners vote or whatever it is. But uh, I have five topics, and I want to just kind of talk through them and see – where you guys are at because they're the, based off of this week. And to me, they're the five topics that are the, the, uh, the, the most trend worthy, I guess. I don't know the biggest talking point. So I'm going to start with this number one, T.O. We're going to you first on this one. Who is the more dangerous team in March? Is it Auburn or is it Kentucky? Assuming that severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington can get back to hundred percent. Here's the thing about that guys. Like their win against Alabama without those two. So impressive. Oh my God. I thought this team was solely relying on those two players. And yet here they, here they play an Alabama team that relies on their guard play. So you would think like matchup versus matchup, Alabama might have something for them. And and they still found a way to win. 
Here's my thing with Kentucky. Those two are healthy. They can compete. And I haven't been riding that bandwagon all year. I've been a little bit apprehensive because I thought they started out a little slow. Here's the thing. Oscar Sheboy is going to have them in every game because that is a man child. Kellen Grady is a heck of a player. You get those other two back. And then those other guys that got a little bit more, got a few more minutes this past game. They're playing well, man. And Calipari's done a terrific job. Everybody's like, ah, national coach of the year. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's let's pump the brakes. There's other guys more deserving, in my humble opinion, than Calipari. But the job that he's done has been uh, remarkable to find ways to fit his team together. I'm yeah, really impressed we're, with we're this Kentucky get, team. We're going to get into that coach of the year conversation here in a little bit. I yeah, promise you. Yeah. That, that's something that's going to be brought up. And I'm going to mention Calipari there. Uh, Phantom, mm-hmm. where are you at? Auburn, Kentucky, what do you got? Fully healthy Kentucky is better than Auburn. And the reason why is because Kentucky has evolved as the season has gone on more than Auburn has. Yes. And I say that because I think that by the way that Cal did it this past offseason with transfers, that there's an adjustment period there too. We watched Kentucky offensively in December. They are not the team that they are now. There were things that were done, one of which is Kellen Grady and his role, the way it's changed, the way that, that they've changed his impact on a game. Grady's much more comfortable than he was earlier in the season. This was not Davidson, and that's no disrespect to Davidson, who's a well-run offensive team. But this is a different offense. They play a different way. And I think that there's an adjustment period that occurs with that. Oscar Shibway is a National Player of the Year <laughs> candidate a firm one he has to be and he does the the role of two so I'm gonna go with Kentucky fully healthy because I don't think that there's a player that could raise the roof of a team more than Ty Ty Washington does for Kentucky and what I like the most about Kentucky that Saturday's win states their supporting cast has grown as the season's gone on Jacob Toppin's gotten more comfortable Keon Brooks has gotten more comfortable whereas Auburn's supporting cast, are they showing some truer colors here as of late? That's my concern here. And remember, it's all about what you are going into March. Auburn's got a really, really good team, but you got to be hot going into March. And right now, Auburn's had some close scares. They lose to Florida. Kentucky is riding a hot streak. They have a coach who seems to do really well this time of year when he's got a group that's fully bought in. Calipari certainly has that. I'm going to go with the Kentucky Wildcats here because they've evolved. That supporting cast has gotten better. And if they're fully healthy, watch out for Ty Ty. Can I say something about Auburn? Can I say something about Auburn? Like, they need to fix this Wendell Green situation. Like, that ball needs to be in freaking Jabari Smith's hands at the end of the game. Like, enough of enough. Like, Pearl needs to get that under control. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was about to say is that um, – Sorry. I, 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 no, no, it's, I, I'm glad that we're on the same page. Um, I love, I love uh, th- this Auburn roster, and I love Kentucky too. And your point about the supporting cast is, is, is very well made, um, Fanta. The, the, the role players have really established their roles. Everybody knows their job, and they all do it well. And they're old. The, the yeah. lineup that they played on, uh, on, on Saturday – was 21, 21, 22, 23, 24. They have 24-year-olds on Kentucky now. Who would have ever thought that was happening? Fanta, you, you're you the same age as the dudes on Kentucky. Yeah. Right? Think, about, think about that for a second. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the, the point guard situation at Auburn is, is going to be something that in the tournament is going to rear its ugly head at some point because they're going to play a close game and you're going to come down the stretch and you're going to have a situation where Wendell Green dribbles the air out of the wall 
and it becomes a problem. Jabari Smith has been on fire his last two games. You got to get him the rock in that situation. Now, what I will say is this. 7.1 seconds left. You have the ball out of bounds in front of the opposing team's bench, 75 feet away from the basket. Jabari Smith is a guy that's going to be at his best when you could get it to him before he has to use a dribble and he can square up and use his jab series and and be able to create a little space to get a shot off because he's got such a high release. uh, He can get that shot off for just about any defender at the college level. That's a little bit of a difficult thing to do given where the ball was and how much time is left on the clock. So I get that, right? Like, I don't think that not getting the ball to Jabari there is the worst thing in the world. It's just, it's an awkward spot to be in. Um, there's things he could have done. I don't think that it was necessarily like a, 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 a given that he had to do it another way. My concern is that they don't have somebody, if that situation arises in the tournament in a last second setting. Uh, Katie Johnson is going to go to the rim. He's probably going to run somebody over. I think he would have been a better choice there because he might have gotten fouled, but whatever. Wendell Green is just too small. The biggest issue, if you go back and watch that last play, T.O., they had Walker Kessler at the rim. Walker Kessler was alone at the basket. And Wendell Green was too small to get it to him against the length of, of Florida's guys. So uh, that point guard thing is going to be an issue for uh, for Auburn moving forward. But there's a chance that they might just beat everybody by 10 or 12, and it won't won't be a thing down the stretch. They're, uh, they're good enough. I think that that was as much a product of a desperate Florida team playing at home as anything else. Yep. Huge win for Florida, who, quite Huge. frankly, with, 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 their, with their roster has been a little bit of a disappointment. This year. As Sean Miller would say, a huge win. Huge win. Huge. 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 <laughs> um, all right. Uh, next up, state your case number two, Phantom. We are going to you first on this one. Who is the national coach of the year right now? Today, it's Ed Cooley. I mean, his team is 22 and three. And they are 12-2 and two in their league, a league that could send seven teams to the NCAA tournament. I do not care what you think, how you think, why you think about all this stuff. All they do is win. All they've done is win. And to have the season that this program's put up, their best season since the 1970s, you have to put respect on what he's done at Providence College a team that was a total afterthought in the Big East Conference heading into this season, and they are not an afterthought. Now, we saw Providence in the top 16 reveal on Saturday. I mean, are you kidding me? I didn't, th- I didn't know if Providence would be in the top 68 come Selection Sunday, and they're in the top 16. That is an exceptional, exceptional coaching job done by a man who benefited – in a great way, and he benefits in a great deal. And he'll tell you this. Ed Cooley benefits from the transfer portal, unlike many others, you know, in this way. He is as nurturing of a figure in the sport as you will come across. You could have not met him many times in your life, and he will literally speak with you in, in such a way that I think resonates with the players. Terrence, you covered the game last week. He comes out of the press conference room after a loss and really has a heart-to-heart with with you, Jeff, and myself about what went wrong in the game. How many coaches are doing that? Not many. 
and, and then now, accepted a and, and then accepted a wedding invitation on his way out. I don't know if you saw that or not. Who does that after a loss? And 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 I'll let you guys jump in here on who you think. I will tell you the last thing that really stood out to me. Al Durham says to me in October, and it it just spoke to me differently. He goes, you know, he goes, everything you hear and you read and you see about these coaches, then you actually talk, start talking with them or, or you start interacting with them and you're like, eh, everything you hear and read and see, I don't know if it's all true. He goes, it's never been truer with that. Like everything you read, hear, and see, that is who he is as a human being. He goes, and that's what led me to him. And that's mm-hmm. why I do think if you're Ed Cooley, you could say to someone, because you're not going to get the five-star. You could say to somebody who wants that new stop, who wants to feel nurtured, who could be that star at Providence versus somewhere else. Come here. Come play for me. Like, And that's what's happening here. If you look at this Providence team, impact transfers have played a major role in their success. I'm going to go with Ed Cooley for the turnaround that he has done there after uh, having a couple of years where they were not a tournament team. Uh, I would go Ed Cooley too, and it's just because of how many pieces he's been able to fit, just mold them perfectly together. And, and you said, come and be a star at Providence, be a star in your role at Providence, because he's got those guys buying in completely. But for the sake of argument, I'm obviously going Ed Cooley, but another guy that I think deserves consideration, Brad Underwood at Illinois, the job that he has done there, because you guys think about it, they, ran, they, they structured their offense a lot about uh, on Curbelo. He, en- he ends up getting hurt they're having to fix some things Kofi Coburn gets uh, suspended for a little while they have to fix some things and yet here they are 19 and 7 and number 12 in the top 16 release so like him to continuously be able to adjust uh, what they're doing how he's been able to incorporate different bodies he deserves consideration but that's just to kind of throw a, a wrench in there I know Tommy Lloyd Shaka but Ed Cooley wins for me especially right now but uh you know, Illinois has done some things despite some difficulties. So kudos to them too. Yeah. I think there's a lot of terrific candidates this year. Um, yeah. Cooley's definitely one of them. Brad Underwood is definitely one of them. Like I mentioned, John Calipari the job that he's been able to do to get Kentucky to where they are with the injuries that they've dealt with is definitely one of them. Um, I think that Bruce Pearl belongs in that conversation. I think yeah. Tommy Lloyd absolutely belongs in that conversation, but I'm going to go down to, uh, to Lubbock and I'm going to give it to the Ooh. guy down there running that program, Mark Adams. Um, I don't think anybody expected – there weren't a lot of people that expected Texas Tech to be a tournament team this year, right? And now we're sitting here in a situation where they have – they've swept Baylor. They swept Texas. They played a uh, road game in Austin that had more Texas Tech fans in seats than Texas fans. There were <laughs> – I don't know if I've ever seen this before. at, at In Texas Arena – Texas had the ball on a final possession and there were defense chants going on in that arena. Andrew Jones in his own building airballed a three and you could hear airball chants in the <laughs> arena. Where else, where else does that happen other than with those maniacs with the, that are, that are Texas tech fans are out of their minds. But um, Mark Adams to me, the, the ability that he's been able to do to kind of keep that program rolling despite losing Terrence Shannon for as much as they've lost him, despite losing Kevin McCullough for as long as they lost him. It's just, they're very much as a next man up mentality within that, that group. And uh, the fact that he's been able to keep it, keep it rolling the way that that beard had it rolling. And honestly, like they might be better than some of those teams that Chris beard had. Remember the team that made it to the national title game, they were a three seed. 
right? So, yeah. yeah Did you I hear mean, what it, happened with the seat with the seating? No. Okay, so Texas tried to curb who was going to pay for the tickets by oh, yeah. putting this code into an email. And yep. then the email got out and then all the Texas tech fans, it went on all their message boards and they bought all the tickets. And then even Texas students were being displaced. So mm-hmm. like if they were there, they had to kick out Texas students for the Texas tech fans <laughs> who bought tickets. What a sabotage. Well done. Red yeah, Raiders. Amazing job. I, we'll clap that up for them. Great yep. work. Great work. All right. Next up. Uh, question number three for state your case. T.O. Is Arizona or Gonzaga the most dangerous team on the West Coast? Uh, Gonzaga, baby. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Jeff Goodman point guard play. Point guard play, <laughs> point guard play. You know that button that you see on Instagram where it's just like you don't know what to say, so you just bang that button. Point guard play. That's the one that's for uh Goodman. No, look, Nimbard is that good and Kirk Kreese, I you, you got to love him. You got to love him for what he is. But when it comes to close games in the NCAA tournament, he could be the one to get you. And he's shown that against really good teams, it can hurt you. Uh, I, I Look, I've been as big a naysayer about Gonzaga as there is because I think there's several different ways you can beat Gonzaga this year, uh, especially with so many older, bigger, stronger players. Because I think Chet Holmgren is starting to figure it out. His confidence is through the roof. He's shooting 45% from three at seven foot, whatever he is. 45% from three, Fanta. You want to hear a crazy stat about Chet? numbers. Yes. Here's a crazy stat about Chet. He is the first player in college basketball history to average 14 points, three blocks, shoot 60% from the floor, and 40% from three. Nobody has ever done that. In all of the years that college basketball has existed, nobody has ever done that. That's incredible. And and look, it's subpar competition. West Coast Conference, yada, yada, yada. Oh, they're good. No, they're not. It's still the West Coast Conference. And they are rummaging through through everybody there. But look, Gonzaga still has dudes. So give me Gonzaga over that for no other reason than they match up well everywhere except for point guard play. Give me Gonzaga. I'm going with Arizona. Oh, curveball. They've only lost one time since December. And they've only lost two times all season. In a better, in a more battle-tested league, the road trips in that league are tougher. You have to play like twice you, in three days. Yeah, I had to I, I like I like how you caught yourself when you said what well, you were about to say better. You're like, ah, you know what? Actually, it's the Pac-12. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Here's the deal. Ben Matherin gives them a chance against anybody in America. They could beat anybody with him. I want him on my team. He is versatility personified at at six foot six, six foot seven, the ability to score the basketball multiple levels, the ability to defend, play make. I love this kid. And I think if he played on the East Coast, we'd be giving him even more love because I think he'd be on at better times of the day. I, I really think he's a product of that. I do. You're you're squinting at me, do you? Do you believe that or no? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. He yeah, he's definitely a product of people don't stay up to watch his games. Just saying. <laughs> They're on late. Okay. So length factor. They have that. They have plenty of it. And when you have length, 
that was the number one reason why, to me, a couple weeks ago, Auburn was the number one team in the country. On this show, we talked about the ability to protect the rim. Well, Arizona could do that. And to be able to essentially put a pair of seven-footers on the floor, Tabellis is listed at at, uh, 6'11". But to have Tabellis and Christian Coloco is really the glue of this operation because I think he does so many little things for them. They have such a successful formula going for them. Offensively, the ball can move. It can move, and it can move well when Kirk Kreese is playing under control. And I know that that's a big qualifier. But I also think that this Arizona team has enough beyond him to be able to sometimes cover up the things that we talk about as issues against the competition that they're going to see early in the NCAA tournament. Remember, the the line here between the two is very thin. You're yes. asking us Gonzaga or Arizona. I think that Dalen Terry might be the single most integral piece to this team going forward because I like his ability to to do some playmaking. I like his ability to shoot the basketball. And I think he's really important to them. When they've played their best, it seems like Terry is playing a very large part of that on both ends of the floor. But I, I think that Tommy Lloyd has done a terrific job of taking all this talent that he inherited and being able to mesh it into mm-hmm. something that really that really looks like a team product. And that's exactly what they are. So I'll go with the 24-2 and two team in the Pac-12. And don't get me wrong, I could end up eating my words. But I will have to say that Gonzaga's inability to get that one played a part in this decision. And maybe it shouldn't have, but I will say it does. And I do think playing in the WCC has played a role in their inability to get the big one. Yeah, hey, I, I one do... more thing to capitalize on what he said about them sharing the ball. Arizona's number one in the country in assists per field goal. They share it. And what I mean is they move that ball. For every time they score, 66% of the times if they score, it's on an assist. That's yep. big time numbers. Yes, yeah, and, and, and Gonzaga is normally at the top of that list as well. Um, the thing that I think is really impressive is that those are the top two teams when it comes to uh, defensive effective field goal percentage, right? We talk a lot about how um, how Gonzaga is not tough enough defensively and this and that and whatever, but Gonzaga is very, very much a really good defensive team this year. And to me, that's why I would probably have to lean them um, – you know, I, I don't fully trust Kirk Carissa, uh, but I do think that the fact that you have two uh, real weapons in your front court um, and you have a guy in Chet Holmgren that's going to be able to space the floor and create room for Drew Timmy to operate, and you have a guy that's going to be a rim protector uh, that will be able to, um, at the very least, deal with Christian Coloco inside and will and allows Gonzaga to get out and pressure on the perimeter. To me, that's kind of ends up being what the difference maker is for these two teams. But I'll tell you this much. I would not be surprised if on April 4th in New Orleans, <laughs> in we were we were watching Gonzaga play Arizona for the right to cut down Man, the nets. And look, wow. Wow. I, there was a point in my life where I was really hoping that both of those teams would be in the Western region so that we can get Tommy Lloyd versus Mark Few for the right to go to the Final Four. And I've scrapped that. I've gotten rid of no, it. I don't. Get him in the title game. Wow. Tommy Lloyd, Mark Few, Gonzaga, 
Arizona playing for a national title. Can you imagine the story? How how CBS would hate that though. How much drama would 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 be involved there? Think about that. I'm here for the mess, and that would be messy as hell. There would be a lot of drama. That would be messy as hell, and I'm I'm 100 here for it. That's what I want. We would get so many people paying attention. We would have so much to talk about. We could turn this show into first take. It'd be unbelievable. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to say maybe yeah. because every, everybody west of the east of the Mississippi, like how much have they really been watching those two teams, and how much are they invested in those two teams? I, I don't so, care. Like, what well, if, okay. Whatever. If, look, if you're if you're in the Eastern Time Zone, the only legitimate time zone, and you are not watching <laughs> Gonzaga and Arizona. Then, then come on, you got to get it together. You're not a real college hoops fan if you're not watching these teams play because they are they are yeah. thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, thoroughly, and here's the thing: thoroughly entertaining. But by the time, here's the thing about that whole thing. I, I I know that we talk about ratings and what's good for the sport and what's good for the game. Like national championship game, by that point, there are a lot of worse options than yes. Gonzaga, Arizona. I, I'll tell you what: the network execs were not happy when Texas Tech met Virginia a couple years yeah. back. That didn't do much for them. Guess what? That was the an game, unbelievable game. The that game, was, yeah. <laughs> the game got a great rating. You know why? People like a championship game. They do. Yeah. It's it's kind of like when the Rays made the World Series a couple years ago, and they were ratings. They're terrible, horrible. Mm. But but they ended up playing a pretty epic series, and people still like. We sometimes get so in the weeds on that stuff. To me, tournament ratings. What happens on the TV side? get more impacted for the negative when Oral Roberts beats Ohio State. And now we have Oral Roberts in Florida. That game's getting bumped to true TV. It can't be on CBS. It's not going to get the rating. Upsets are, are, are great in that they're all, like it's an upset. They are not great for deeper in the NCAA tournament. Just saying. Unless, unless you get Oral Roberts in the Final Four. Bingo. And, and and it's also, but that's not going to happen, you know. Yeah, but it's also like college. But part of the the charm of college basketball is the fact that this is the only sport on 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 the planet where. Well, I take that back. The, in in soccer in England, you can have runs that are similar to Oral Roberts getting like two in Elite Eight. But um, it's the only sport in America where you can have this level of Cinderella. It's the only one. So I do think that people kind of uh, gravitate towards that. Now they're all. Once you get to the, to the the very end of the tournament, Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, like you kind of want those big juggernaut matchups because, like, you want to see them. I want to see uh, Auburn play Kentucky again. I want to see Texas Tech find a way to go up against um, against someone like Kentucky or Duke or whoever it is. So you want those kind of big primetime matchups because that's what makes the sport so fascinating. But uh, I, I I get it, and and hopefully people don't make these decisions based off of what the ratings are going to be. It's not like CBS ratings is going to impact any of our pockets. It's yeah. not, it's not going to impact anything that we do. And frankly, Arizona fans, Gonzaga fans, Texas tech fans, Auburn fans, all of you guys, we do really good numbers on those. <laughs> yeah, on those it's healthy. So keep, so keep coming, yeah. baby. Keep coming. Give me more. Yeah. All right. It's healthy right. for the sport too. Like Baylor winning a national title is it was, it was healthy. It's healthy to have different teams, different brands emerge. If we get Zona Gonzaga, Arizona fans are great fans. That would be terrific. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So uh, next up, who is the most dangerous team right now that no one is talking about? And when I say no one is talking about them, preferably not somebody that was uh, in the committee's top 16, ideally not a team that is ranked right now. But who, do you, who are you looking at right now, Fanta, as someone that can make a run? 
because I got a team right now. And if you steal mine, I'm going to be very upset. I'm going to can we can we let you go first, Doster? Because I always go seem ahead. like I steal yours. So go ahead, Rob. Well, yeah, I, go, I, go first. I'm I'm going with the Creighton Blue Jays. Wow. They're now sitting at ten and five uh, in the Big East. They've won um, five in a row, six of the last seven. In that stretch, they have a win at UConn. Uh, they are actually playing defense this year. They are a top 30 team in defensive efficiency. They have the big fella, Ryan Kalkbrenner, inside that allows him to kind of get out and play and pressure on the wings. Uh, they have a freshman point guard that is not playing like a freshman point guard and Ryan Nemhard. Uh, Ryan Hawkins, stud. Um, they have uh, guys that can make shots around the perimeter. Um, I, I do think that they are uh, – you, you've made this point before, T.O., where you say teams that are a year away or teams that are young, by the time you get to the end of the season, they should mm-hmm. be getting close to what you want them to be at the start of the year, right? Yeah. And I think that with Creighton, we've kind of gotten to this point. Uh, and if you're going to tell me I can get a team with a really, really good point guard, with playmakers on the perimeter, and with a couple different guys that can go and win a game on their own, plus a five-man in the middle that is going to be able to create some kind of defensive stability at the rim, those are the teams that I think can can be dangerous in March. Now, there's times when they can't really score, and sometimes it gets a little bit ugly offensively for them. Uh, but I do think that they have players that can win one-on-one matchups by themselves. And would I be surprised to see uh, Creighton as a 12 seed ride a 30-point performance from Ryan Hawkins and then a 28-point, eight-assist performance from Ryan Nemhard into the Sweet 16? No, I wouldn't. That is a dangerous basketball team. Who do you guys have? Yeah, I'm going to go with Iowa. I was really impressed with what they did Saturday at Ohio State, and I just think that Keegan Murray is one of the best players in the country that unfortunately doesn't lead Big Ten headlines because there's also – it's a league where Johnny Davis is playing. It's a league where Kofi Coburn is playing. And so as a result, I don't think that he gets loved the way that maybe he could. But here's the thing. Fran McCaffrey has a terrific pedigree and has won a lot of games. You give him a star player, the calendar's about to turn. I think that they're a team that could end up being in that, what, that 7, 8, 9, 10 type of range on a, on a bracket. Where do you have them? Around that range, right? Yeah, some, somewhere around there. Somewhere they around play, there. They have a ridiculous run-in to the end of their season. They play Michigan State um, at home, at Nebraska, Northwestern at home, but then they end with at Michigan and at Illinois. So they're going to have a chance to be able to play themselves into a spot where they're like a potentially a four, five, six kind of a deal. So there you we'll go. See. There you go. That This is a team that has a couple of advantageous games ahead. I like them at home against Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State's half-court offense right now is very, very inconsistent. So I would actually sit with Iowa more than I would with Michigan State. Iowa proved something to me over the weekend, getting a quadrant one win at Ohio State. I know that they get knocked because they don't have many quad one wins, but I like the fact that they have that star power. I think they've reinvented the way that they play this year. It's a little bit different. I like their spacing. Offensively, they're a team that that moves the basketball well, makes things happen. And, and maybe by flying under the radar a little bit, Iowa's better off than the role that they had going into last year's tournament where they had every eyeball because they had Luka, and that really backfired, and it backfired quickly. did not go well for them. So a team that if they were a seven, Terrence, and you're the two that has to play them on the first weekend, you're sitting there thinking, man, like, 
we got to face this kid already. He's a superstar, and he he can light it up. He can go off for 30 in this game, and I wouldn't bat an eye. So I'm going to go with the fighting France. I'll give Iowa some love here. We're going Big Ten heavy because I had two teams that I thought uh, both could do damage in the tournament, and one of which you mentioned, Michigan State. I think them playing in the Big Ten hurts them a little bit because I the style they would like to play a little bit faster. And I think in the NCAA tournament, they're physical enough that they're going to be able to give teams from other conferences a lot of trouble. I think that's a team that can make the second weekend because of their size around the perimeter, their wings, uh, and their guards could be just good enough. They just have to exist. And you saw a little bit of what Walker can do whenever he gets ahead of steam and plays pretty well. But the team that I'm, I, I'm excited to see what they do in the NCAA tournament, because I think their style of play is conducive to the NCAA tournament. And I'm going to stay in the same league, but Rutgers, uh, my favorite vacation destination, Piscataway. Like that's, (laughs) that's it right there. Uh, Look, the the way they play, uh, Peichel is going to have those guys scouted up for the tournament. Ron Harper's a go-to scorer. Geo Baker's finally healthy. And they've got really good minutes from Paul Mulcahy. Those guys are tough as nails. They have some rim protection with Omorie. That's a good team. And they're pretty unselfish, and they do a nice job. They do some some similar things that Villanova does with Gillespie, with Mulcahy. And if he can't get anywhere, because he's not overly quick, he can't really get to the bucket, but he turns around and backs him down, and he can see over the defense, because what is he? He's about 6'5", 6'6". I don't know what exactly he is, 6'6". So he can see over the defense. So they they can work around that. That is a tough bunch. They have an excellent head coach, and they have just enough athletes. And this is after losing two studs to the West Coast. Yeah, imagine what they would be if they had Miles um, Johnson and Jacob Young right now. Yep. They, they probably wouldn't have lost to Lafayette at home. <laughs> I'll tell you no. that much. No. All right, last, last, uh, last thing we got here. We got about five minutes left. Uh, Phantom, did the committee do a good job or a bad job in their, uh, their top 16 reveal over the weekend? They did a good job. I thought that they that they did a, a clean job, and I I'll be one to say, hey, they just didn't they didn't make the mark, but I I liked what they did here. I, I totally agree with the one seeds. I, I still would have Kansas as a one. Kansas has a combined fifteen quadrant one and quadrant two wins. You're not going to find more of a total than that in college basketball. So their overall body of work trumps what was a bad afternoon against Kentucky, and it was a bad afternoon, but it goes beyond that. And that's what the committee did, and they held their guns. And I do think, and I know that some people say, well, uh, conference affiliation doesn't matter. But to me, the Big 12 is the best league in college basketball. You got to put somebody on the one line from that league. And they went with Kansas. And I, I think that that was smart. I think that Baylor still being a two made sense to me. I had no objections to the two line with Duke, Purdue, Kentucky, and Baylor. The three line intrigues me because I don't know if Tennessee will stay on the three line. You know, they were on there to start. I'm not just saying that because they lost to Arkansas, who's playing really well and would be another dark horse candidate because they've been on fire. But I thought that they got it right. I, I, I did not have any objections to this. I did find it interesting when the committee chair said that Ohio State and Houston were two teams that were left off of this top six team reveal that were highly considered. Neither one of them is playing like a top 16 team. So I actually think that that only validated on Saturday that the committee got this right. And uh, I agree with the selection committee. We could talk about one line over another, 
But overall, when I saw that reveal, I didn't say, man, they got that wrong or, ooh, I don't like that. I thought that they got it right. Uh, the only one that I'll say is, is I thought Tennessee probably would be better served as a four seed as opposed three. to a three. And then maybe you could swap them. And I feel like I, I don't mean to sound like this, but I feel like I'm almost coming off as a homer for Providence, but 21 and three and they're six and one against the quad one. Like, I don't want to come off as a homer towards Providence. <laughs> that wasn't my goal coming into this conversation, but like 21 and three and it's six and one in the quad one. Are we looking too much into Kim Palm as opposed to actual results? Like, that's the only thing I could see. Illinois obviously deserves. They have a lot of losses to be a three seed. A lot of losses to be a three seed. Seven losses right now. If they lose one or two more, that's typically in that four or five range. Am yep. I wrong in saying that? And and uh, you know that's probably my only qualm with that. Maybe Illinois could be a four. Uh, UCLA throw them up to a three. But at, you know one and two seeds. I, I, I'm on board with with most of those. But that three or four, that's where it gets a little interesting for me. Yeah, and I just want to give a shout out to our Fielding the 68 show. Uh, it's yeah, our that show that is every Monday and every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time, the only legitimate time zone. And um, they they got all 16 of these teams right. The only thing that they had uh, that wasn't exactly what the committee had is they had Duke and Villanova swap. So Duke is eighth. Villanova is ninth. They had Villanova eighth and Duke ninth, and they had Illinois and Wisconsin swapped. Illinois is 12th, Wisconsin is 13th. They had Wisconsin 13th, uh, Wisconsin 12th, and Illinois 13th. So those dudes, they crushed it. Uh, So make sure you tune in. That will be going every Monday and every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time, the only legitimate time zone. But anyway, listen, uh, this has been another episode of the DTF podcast. We are going to be coming back to you guys again next Monday morning. So for John Fanta, for Terrence Oglesby, my name is Rob Doster. Go bet with Bet Rivers. Boom. Oh.